Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It's March the 11th of 2020. I am Nick here alongside Chris, and oh. it's a manga day. It's Wednesday. Uh-huh. It's a manga day. It's a manga day. House. We uh, we uh, petitioned the president of the earth to actually make that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, President President Fauntleroy was uh, obliging, mm. and uh, so now uh, we uh, we have the this proper day dedicated exclusively to talking about Japanese comics that you read. Uh, in the opposite direction that you normally think of with your with your Western brain. So, what's your favorite thing about President Fauntleroy? Uh, uh, um, uh, it's the fact that he carries on family, uh, with pride, and uh, you know his his father uh, Montavious uh, McGlennahan, uh, you know, left a large hole for him to follow but Fauntleroy has carried on adequately uh-huh. and uh, and more than lived up to that uh, at, uh, to that pressure I so. like his seven heads <laughs> it was like a yes and game I to get to a weird <laughs> like what is he an alien or <laughs> you know one for each of the the, the, the of seven the yes yeah. <laughs> that's why he was able to give us Wednesday uh-huh. he has control over those things and the circle. There we go. Completed. Dust our hands off, everybody. We're done. Improv complete. Put a little check mark next to it. <laughs> All right. This is going to be an odd week uh, for MAGA. Uh, guys, not just because uh, we've got chapters that are going to be releasing in the middle of the episode, not just because everyone's paranoid about touching each other, which is why it's a perfect podcast listening day because yes. we're. <laughs> Miles away from each other. This is the way that humanity is meant. I can to lick my microphone all day, and Nick can't get sick. This is the way mankind is meant to communicate in the 2020s. Just miles away from each other, mm-hmm. no touching, no getting within six feet or 600 miles of each other. You know, same tiff. So, but uh, oh man, it, there are some chapters here that are going to be like you know whatever there are going to be some that are going to have very important plot developments that we got to get through and there are a couple where nick the shipper is going to come out because uh you mean the first one the first one and the middle one so (laughs) i don't think we can squeeze anything out of one piece it's very difficult to ship in one piece by design so (laughs) it's the best series Let's get into it. Uh, starting off with My Hero Academia for the recap, Ocean Week Manga Recap. Chapter number 263, I Wanna Be With You Guys. That sounds like a song, doesn't it? I wanna be with you guys, you know, just... Yeah, just, like, I, I can imagine, like, this is from Yellow Card's, like, less popular album. Like, a B-side <laughs> track on that. I wanna be with you guys. <laughs> I had somebody I, at Trivia recently... I had somebody tell me that, like, I, I forget how it came up. They were just like, I made a joke about yellow card. And someone's like, hey, yellow card's fantastic. And I was like, that's not what 16 year old me remembers. That's kind of <laughs> the sole interactions I have with yellow card. But really, yellow card is great. Name a second song. of. I was like, oh, he did. He started me listing them off. And I was well, that's where I had to stop. That's where I was like. Are you in Yellow Card? Are like, cause if you were guitar, like if you were one of the guitarists from Yellow Card, I couldn't tell you you're wrong. I don't know. Start singing all of their tracks by by heart, pitch perfect. And you're like, are you sure you're just not making up new verses I'm, to Ocean? Uh, like, yeah. I'm pretty sure these aren't real. It's like if it's not Ocean Avenue, I'm not sure it's a song. 
I can't just, you know, prove that it's not a yellow card song. <laughs> They're like, don't stop believing. They, that was yellow card. I was really? like, they okay. might have covered that. I'm not. It sounds like a kind of lame song they'd cover. <laughs> hey, look, I just looked it up. Oh, no, actually, they stopped being active two years ago. Well, hey, what are you going to do, guys? You know, nothing this forever. He's trying to, you know, uh, do a grassroots campaign to uh, reunite the band yeah. because he misses tour. And that's why he was, I don't know, was he at work that he, that he had this conversation? <laughs> it was, he was one of the people there for trivia, which sounds exactly okay. like what the members of Yellow Card to be doing with their time. They hang out there. All right. So getting into the chapter itself proper. Uh, this is the other front of the battle between the heroes and the metahuman liberation front slash liberation or whatever, whatever they're called now. They changed their name Par- three times. Fuck paranormal so, liberation front or something. Yes. So, uh, it's the we're watching the rear guard for most for the beginning of this. We go to the front squad for the other part. It was established at the beginning of all this, in case you don't recall, that the rear guard is to, you know, make sure that, you know, everything doesn't get out of hand in case the front lines, uh, people get past them because there's going to be this huge, massive battle breaking out. And we get this kind of uh, thing that is both a it's a it's a kind of a back and forth between a kind of a macro uh, view of the action and a micro view of it. Uh, because there's, you know, you see like the battle lines formed. There's a big two page spread that is very reminiscent of the, the opening of the X-Men animated series with the two sides rushing towards each other. Uh, we see the like, you know, Cementos uses powers to disrupt the ba- the uh, break into one of the buildings, dissolve the entire thing uh, as people rush in towards each other. But the entire rest of the chapter is from the perspective of Kaminari, who is one of the students who is uh, here with the front unit, along with Tokoyami. Uh, and I think those are the only two that we have established are actually in this front group. Mm-hmm. And uh, we start off with the rear guard, where Mineta is being a useless piece of shit. He's just sitting on a fucking rock. And Sarah's like, will you just, will you get up? We, we have a job to do here. You're like, whoa, what if you did, what if the, but if the, if the guys in the front do their job, we don't have to do anything. Like, get, stand up, you lazy piece of shit. Jiro uh, uses her listing abilities and says that, yeah, things, things are starting. They're on the move. Uh, there is a tiger marine cop guy whom I'm sure that we've seen before at some point or another, but I don't remember who he is. Oh, uh, that's a Tigerine cop guy. That's his name. Yeah. Yes, this is his name. You can look him up on the uh, on the fandom page. Yeah, he's in a romantic relationship with Gang Orca. I'm just creating it in my mind, and this is a wonderful story that's now going on. Tiger Marine right. cop guy and Gang Orca. They kiss. They break faces. Sometimes at the same time. They're the animal dudes. <laughs> It goes for 17 seasons. Gotcha. <laughs> By the end of it, the two actors hate each other. <laughs> that was always the saddest fact about Golden Girls to me is like the cast has been very open that they're like, yeah, we didn't really care for one another. Like on the show, we had to play basically sisters. But once the cameras were done rolling, none of us were all that close to one another. Like, oh, why are you doing this to me? I mean, phenomenal job acting. But why are you doing this to me? 
What is a show that you watch currently that that would give you that, that would give you the same reaction? Like, you know, the way that people like, oh, they portrayed this very sweet relationship and then you find out they hate each other and it just kind of breaks your heart. Um, hmm. I watched through The Office recently and that would be a show where if they were just like, like if John Krasinski was just like Pam, whoever the actress name was, <laughs> I don't even know. Pam. <laughs> she's so smelly and boring. Like if he said something like that, I'd be like, Oh, that's, that's uncalled for. Or like modern family. If like, they were like, Oh man, I fucking hated those shitty little kids. God, they were so annoying. (laughs) Why don't they get run over by a bus? (laughs) (laughs) If they said that about, uh, the, uh, youngest kid, I would probably forgive them. Honestly, the, uh, one that, um, I've forgotten all the characters' names. I haven't watched I it for like four seasons. <laughs> like the youngest of the three kids, or the... no, 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 the uh, the one that oh, Sophia, Sophia Vergara's kid, the one she has, the second yeah. one. Yeah, I don't yeah. know, Tommy, something like that. I think I stopped well, watching around that point. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I looked back recently and I found out that um, Haley is apparently back together with her shitty boyfriend from the first season. I'm like, that means she didn't grow. though. <laughs> uh, I remember seeing a couple episodes and the idea was that, Oh God, what was his name? I can't remember. But something like that. I remember seeing him and the idea is he's still kind of a dim witted guy, but he's, he's like gotten his life together. I remember seeing an episode that suggested something like that. Anyway. So, the Tiger Marine cop guy, star of 17 seasons of uh, his romantic sitcom show, says that, uh, you know, gives a little bit of a, pe- of a pep talk to everyone saying like, hey, you know, everyone be alert. We've got a massive threat in front of us. And Jiro kind of comments offhandedly. He's like, I'm not really too worried about Tokoyami, but eh. and Yairozu puts her hand on her shoulder, comforts her uh, and says, I'm sure he'll be just fine. Cut forward to Kaminari, who title drops in a very awkward non sequitur. I want to be with you guys, which is not in response to anything um, is not replied to in any way that makes sense. So I don't really know what means exactly. Yeah. I mean, because he's with them. He's running alongside. Oh, them right well, now. he seems like he's nervous. So I think what he's saying is I want to be with you guys back in the back line as opposed to the I front guess. line. You gotta speak more clearly when you're panicking, Kaminari. Yeah, Come on. I no excuse. It's pretty you just said you guys. I mean that could apply to anybody, you know? You really didn't like specify any one group. Come on now. Yeah. Stupid context based Japanese yeah. doesn't translate too well one hundred percent of the time. Dirt stupid American language not being perfect <laughs> with everything. God damn it. Midnight is trying to comfort him by saying, hey, you know, look, we need your quirk here. Just think of it as, as though you're, you're helping out the adults who don't have what it takes, which doesn't do anything to comfort Kaminari because he's like, what do you mean some of you guys don't have what it takes? I'm relying on you to protect my, my scrawny ass. Uh, Tokoyami tries to uh, give him a pep talk now by saying, hey, I learned something about you back when we were in the band together at the school festival arc, the best arc that is now currently airing in the anime. Uh I learned something from watching you play guitar. You're amazing. And Kaminari's like, why are you talking about how good I am at shredding? That's not helping. No, no. Then he gets some action stuff. Buildings collapsing. uh, Mr. Skeptic shouting for reinforcements. A guy who looks basically 
imagine Juan from Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire and Emerald, or I guess just Emerald. You know, the guy who takes over the oh. water gym. Imagine him, but an electric trainer instead of a water trainer. That's what this guy looks like. Yeah, I didn't grasp that he was an electric dude at first. And I was like, wow, Kaminari's kicking his ass all- in his hair. <laughs> I was like, Kaminari's kicking his ass already. And I was like, wait a minute, he hasn't done anything yet. Oh, he's the one doing it. Never mind. Uh, so this guy walks forward as the as everything's collapsing. And he's like, ah, oh, let's shake things up. This is what happens when we're just waiting for Shigaraki. I say we get things started. Big, huge face off between heroes and villains. We see what's happening inside of the building that's collapsing. Some, you know, like Mr. Compress and Togar are trying to rush around and such. Uh, Edshot calls back to everyone saying, hey, don't let everyone escape. Kaminari still looks nervous. Midnight rushes up to, to Kaminari and says, hey, look, don't imagine. Don't let the stage overwhelm you right now. If imagining random people elsewhere doesn't do the trick, think of the person who matters to you most right now. And he looks over his shoulder and his point of view zooms all the way back to Jiro as he was thinking to himself, I want to be with you guys. And there's the clarification you were talking about. And Jiro distantly, seemingly says, get it done, charge bolt. And Kaminari looks back as this new electric guy, Amplivolt, I guess, because he said, or I guess that's his quirk's name. Uh, is preparing his electric attack. And Kaminari looks all determined as he rushes in. And Tokoyami thinks to himself what he was basically trying to say before, I know you now. And they were practicing with guitar and stuff like that. And so, man, how hard Kaminari was practicing to uh, do well for their performance. And he's commented, you know, Jiro acts all shy and awkward, but I know she's nuts about music, so we ought to do our best to perform. And Tokoyami says, from the bottom of your heart, you care deeply about your friends. So Amplivolt, or whatever this guy's name is, unleashes a huge burst of electricity, but it's all absorbed by Kaminari's lightning rod ability. Oh no, you didn't realize that there was a Pokemon with that in the party. Now all your electric attacks will be sucked up and do nothing. Uh... This is a moment, He's by like, the way. like, I've never happened. played Gen 3! What are these abilities?! <laughs> I was a Gen 1 only. Why am I not the strongest Pokemon with my Alakazam? <laughs> Speed and special, that's all you need. What's this special defense bullshit? If you have a single move in your lineup that's not Psychic or Psybeam, you're fucking stupid. <laughs> what about bug Pokemon? Most of them were poison and were weak to Psychic. And all of them sucked to you anyway. I was going to say, like, was it the only bug attack in Gen 1? Like, a uh, fucking Twin Needle or whatever? Pretty much, and it was used exclusively by a Pokemon that was weak to Psychic yeah. because it was Beedrill. <laughs> Gen 1's not a very balanced game. Not at all. So Kaminari strikes this, gets this big moment to shine. Electricity's crackling all around him as he sucks it all in, and he says, let's mop up the others real quick so the guys we left behind don't need to worry. As uh, he pretty much thinks that he's got this guy completely neutralized, because lightning cancels out lightning. So there you go. Uh -huh. Meanwhile, Inside of the crumbling building, or one of the crumbling buildings, nobody has found twice except for Hawks, who has him seemingly completely pinned down. He's got all of his feathers pointing at him, floating in midair as twice is in a very dignified, let's call it, position, ass way up in the air. And uh, he's just saying, what's going on? 
his best friend seemingly has betrayed him. Gasp! So what's going to happen here? So, this is definitely the most blatant ship teasing that My Hero Academia has probably ever done. Like, beyond Uraraka explicitly, flat out, definitely having a crush on Deku, which has been commented upon multiple times, this was, oh, yeah, they like each other. Yeah, especially uh, for so. one that goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Because Deku's ignorant yeah. of Uraraka, seemingly. Um, I have already noted on Twitter, I don't really care for the ship. Jiro is, Jiro is my favorite. Look, I have a Jiro figurine that Nicole made for me. I am getting the My Hero Academia video game, which is coming out this Friday, and I'm going to be a Jiro main. Uh, I treasure her and am protective of her, and Kawanai is not good enough for her. That's I, just, I, that's I remember is. reading this chapter and getting to that page, I was like, Nick's gonna have strong feelings have on this feelings. one way or the other, and I think I know it's not gonna be positive. Uh, I will say this: this kind of chapter is the reason why that kind of is an example of my hero academic character building that shows that there is just enough focus on the minor characters that make things like this meaningful. You know, the stuff that like we, that we have not, it's not even the only example that happens in this chapter. There's also the thing with Hawks and twice. Think of how much less this would mean if not for the fact that we had seen in a couple, a couple of chapters previously, how twice and Hawks have been getting along and becoming good friends. But you know, the stuff that we've seen, like, you know, with Aoyama becoming friends with Deku, uh, you know, the closeness that certain characters have and the stuff like the school festival, like who hangs out with who, who has established relationships with who. <clears throat> Kaminari and Jira have an established dynamic. You know, she he overcharged himself and she laughs at him. Uh, but at the same time, he was also the one uh, in the school festival arc who was basically the one who managed to convince her to leave the rock band thing Uh by, you know, saying like, oh, you know, your skills are so cool, you know, and all that stuff. And so if this had just been a thing where like, oh, two characters that we've seen in the background this whole time, apparently one likes the other and one is worried about the other. They'd be like, well, who fucking cares? But because you had enough, then it's like, OK, now that, me that now we see that something has come of that. It's come of those moments that we've seen before. And it's nice to see that. Yeah, I mean. I actually I enjoy this chapter a lot. I I do like that this big fight is about to happen and the characters we're focusing on are the class one A kids, which has kind of been something I've I've mentioned before where it's like I feel like when all these big events happen, sometimes we don't focus on them enough. But it's nice that like seriously, like what like fifty characters are heading into that fight and the first one we take a focus on is Kaminari and then by like association Jiro and it's like oh that's mm -hmm. like it's really nice like that's kind of the way I hope to see this I know there's not a ton of class 1a characters in the front lines for very good reasons but it'd be nice to kind of spend more time on them as much as I love gang orca and various characters that might be on the front line like those are the characters who I'd like to see more of so it was nice to get this chapter I can't say I felt anything for the ship reveal whatever you'd want to call it it was kind of me like okay 
Is there a ship you can think of in My Hero Academia at all that you think would make you feel anything? Besides Tiger, Police, Marine, <laughs> Dude, <laughs> and Gang Orca. Um, hmm. Maybe Kirishima and Acid Girl. And Ashido. Yeah. Even that, though, I'd be like, good for them. You know, I'm glad that they're nice. Like, that's probably about the only one I could see myself, like, feeling kind of interested in. I could definitely understand that because you really liked, uh, I mean, Kirishima's backstory was popular on this podcast and she played a big role in that. So I, there's definitely, you know, uh, emotions there that I could understand. Yeah. yeah. What if I just named two random characters? I'm like, uh, Coda, honestly, Coda dude, and Invisible Girl. Honestly, dude, like my, the My Hero Academia fandom is, I mean, because of the nature of the type of series it is with so many, you know, young students. I mean, it's, it's like how Naruto was yeah. like, there's all these different characters like, so just freaking pick a pairing and there's going to be some sort of fandom for it. So, yeah, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, uh, Mount Lady and Washi Washi. Yeah, there's there's a lot of examples being named in the chat right now of like popular ships, some of which like you would be very surprised to hear that are just extremely popular and are honestly very vanilla compared to some of the other stuff that's uh, that's out there. Like uh, uh, Toshinko is a big one. All Might and um, Deku's mother. That's a that's a pretty big uh, fandom. So. I could take it. Uh, anyway, so that done, let's move on to actage. This was an odd chapter. Like I, I read it the first time and I was like, yeah, okay. And then I read it the second time and I was like, this is just kind of weird because <laughs> there's some stuff that like, anyway, scene 104 trigger. No, not a bonus world trigger chapter. World trigger! We, gotta we gotta wait a month for that. Sorry. So, People are still reacting to Chiyoko acting all beastly and such uh, in her Iron Fan uh, performance where she and she's going back and forth between, you know, being like bestial and demonic and then, you know, very composed despite having all the anger underneath. Uh, and Ricky observes that, ah, she's you know going back and forth between being beautiful as an angel and terrifying as a demon. Their plans to have her character keep ricocheting back and forth between those extremes which I don't think is exactly what manufacturing the moment of people seeing Chiyoko's other face. I don't think that's an ideal strategy if you ricochet back and forth between them. I would want to use that in key moments mm. of the story as opposed to like, she's constantly going between them. You know, imagine like if. I guess the difference between that between, you know, like a two sided personality and then there's, you know, like James McAvoy and split who are it's like he has to constantly be changing because there's however many of them he's got to portray. Well, so, so I, I watched recently I watched the lighthouse, which is uh, the black and white movie, William Defoe and Robert Pattinson. Uh, it's kind of like a psychological horror. The idea being, though, that, you know, Robert Pattinson's character shows up at this lighthouse. They're the only two people that are going to man this thing, taking alternating shifts and you know they're responsible for making sure all these ships come in safely and it starts they're kind of friendly there's a little bit combative uh but then as things go on stuff starts going wrong 
then essentially they just start losing their sanity. And so much of the performance is about them having one scene where they're normal people who are sometimes combative, sometimes friends, and then on a switch, they go insane. So when I was reading this, I was like, yeah, it is kind of weird. They jump back and forth. And I was trying to think of performances that felt like that. And Lighthouse stuck out. But at the same time, the way we're being presented this is from like 20 seconds into the play. They're doing that. And I'm like, maybe slowing it down. In one short conversation that this is going on. So, Yeah. yeah. It definitely gives the idea that time is like being dilated right now as opposed to uh, compressed, despite the fact that things go on to another scene pretty shortly. Uh, There's also a note about how Chiyoko seems to be very uh, cognizant of where the uh, cameras are, and she's making sure that each one that is cut to captures her expression in exactly the way that she wants it, which is a callback in a way to uh, Kay learning that technique when working on Death Island, uh, yeah, okay. K is blown away by how well Chiyoko's doing. Go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, Chiyoko, they established like she basically directs herself in yeah. those shots, so she's just doing it here, I guess, with uh, the idea. It is sometimes strange, especially when it's a multi camera setup, that it's like, how does she know which camera is active? But I guess she's kid can throw a football in under a tenth of a second, I guess she knows which camera's on her at what time, so maybe she watched. Uh, recording of Kay's performance and is just using that. And I don't know. Potentially, I guess. Yeah. So everyone's like, oh, wow, she's gotten so perfect so quickly. Kuriyama did a good job. And then Wakatsuki. Do you remember who Wakatsuki is, Chris? I'm flipping through the... Oh, she the assistant girl? She's not the assistant girl. All right, then no. Wakatsuki was one of the actresses that was just on Death Island. Oh, she, girl, yeah. She has kind of just shown up occasionally as being like, I need to get better because, you know, all these people are outshining me. So, and so we see in rehearsals what Kuriyama did to improve her performance in particular. And so he holds up a lighter directly to her face and flicks it on. And she, you know, jolts and falls away from it. And he's like, is that too hot for you? And she's like, yes, yes, it is. Well, if you still don't love your performance, perhaps you haven't tasted the heat of the flaming mountains. And then before she can respond to this weird comment, he says, have you ever wanted to kill someone? He's like, no, have you ever watched a mother hunt for her son's foot? After it was blown off by a landmine. What are you talking about? Have you? No. Have you ever watched a war veteran racked by trauma relive the battlefield? Or young children send into a crowd with bombs strapped to their bodies? Have you smelled the stench of blood and burning flesh? Has a foreign woman ever sacrificed herself to save you from a stray bullet? Have you ever been begged by a woman to keep taking footage instead of asking for help as she lays the pull of her blood? So anyway, after that little flashback and revealing moment, (laughs) Kuriyama says, if you don't know heat, touch fire. If you haven't tasted the tear of murder, use your imagination, which is 
Not the same as touching fire because you don't know what heat feels like, but okay. But he says, like, this is a war story, even though it's a conflict between, like, four people. It's a war story. You are aware of your own lack of ability, so that's why you can't even lament that others don't recognize your talent. Arm yourself with real power, Wakatsuki. I'll help you. So this was fucked up. Uh, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, the I, line I want to just, like, I, I do love the Princess Iron Fan is a war story. That sounds exactly like the title, like, one of those YouTube video essays do. <laughs> the, the one they want to get, like, clickbait. And here's why. Yeah, the, like, <laughs> Avengers War Game is the romantic comedy of our age or something like that, where you're like, I I don't, I guess I can kind of squint and see what you're going for here, but this just feels like it's a So that's why I'm going to click the three dots and say, do not recommend channel. <laughs> <Yeah>. Goodbye. <laughs> this was so weird. And so very disturbingly revealing uh, because, you know, he's talking about his fucking self. Like, come on. The point is, and the, and the lesson that Wakatsuki takes from this is that Okay, so he sees that I'm not armed with the the tools that I need in order to put on a good performance. So I need to obtain them. And as she's preparing to take the stage in the present, uh, she looks at Chiyoko while thinking, you know, uh, he sees what I like and dislike. He sees what I want to become, what I want but can't obtain when looking at Chiyoko. That's uh, that's cool. And I do like that they keep on pushing the the idea that there are these actors who literally just do not have the same gifts that Kay and Shioko do. So they have to take more extreme measures or different extreme measures in order to be on the stage with them. Even uh, we got that with Tezuka and Kay's performance. So, yeah. so Makatsuki is performing strongly question mark i mean after all that you gotta you know obviously we know why she's doing so well now right no she just is take our word for it uh and then kuriyama has another speech because the first one wasn't wasn't enough he says some actors go their whole lives without managing to break through that shell and he did it so easily oh no that's not him saying this this is uh uh, Wakatsuki's friends commenting on uh, on or her performance. Araya, it is Araya. You're right. Words bubbles change a lot. Anyway, what Kuriyama actually says is just like that idiot Yamanoe. What's with directors trying to change actors in opening night? This isn't a movie. We have time. What are rehearsals for? Do the work during the rehearsals. That's the advantage of theater. Really, I mean, he's right, but. Why are these theater directors so much worse at this than him? <laughs> he's not a movie. He's not a theater director. So how does he understand this? Because so he watched more? this fucking woman's body bleed out in front of him, begging them for to keep filming her dead child. Nickens, what happened? Wars, chaos. Back when I was in Nam, I was just thinking to myself, if we had rehearsal time, this would have never happened. It's like, whatever you do, Mr. Director, remember that. <laughs> That it hurts the time to really get the best out of your actors. Also, oh my guts are everywhere. It hurts so much. I mean, this is the double-edged sword of 
shonen, let's just call it, you know, going to that nth degree in order to make your points to really exaggerate it in order to get the effect across is that sometimes it really backfires and feels like, well, this is just completely ludicrous and silly and it doesn't have the desired emotional impact. But there we go. So. And also, yes, Kuriyama, you're completely correct about the way the theater productions are supposed to work. Uh, and yes, it is weird that like literally this is the first time that someone is like, I'll use the rehearsal time to prepare them for what I want them to do. <laughs> anyway, um, Ricky comments that the stronger Wakatsuki's performance gets, it's strong, trust us, the more our gaze is drawn to Chiyoko, an angel in a flower garden, an angel in a battlefield. What stands out when the background changes isn't the background, it's the angel herself. I mean, that's not necessarily true. But anyway, uh, so... Kay looks at all of this and reflects on how things were collapsing towards the end of her own performance and how she had said that she wasn't sure that she could perform the remaining nights. And she thinks, you know, I don't know how to connect to that anger anymore. But, you know, how can I say that to everyone? She missed herself. I thought that we've lost, but we still have tomorrow and the next day. So. Essentially, she has been inspired by Chiyoko's performance. They're like, okay, I've got to get back on the horse and I've got to do the other two performances that I've got to do. Even if I don't feel like right now I can emotionally connect to the character I'm meant to portray. And, of course, Chess Master Kuriyama comments one last time, I can't have you holding Yunagi back, Yamanoe. I need her to continue to grow. Momoshiro, you're the trigger. I need you to stay a step ahead of Yunagi for a bit longer. Hot dog. So this was weird. Look, I get it. I get it. I, I, I get it, but I don't get it. Like, as the circle of act age continues and my relationship with it, I get it. It's not working, but I get it. <laughs> Roll credits. Okay, so Spy Family. Spy Family. Uh, do, 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 no. do one for everyone. Oh, no. Well, I mean, there's a character. Never mind. We'll get to it. So we find out that Anya is getting a Stella Star because she helped prevent a civil war, basically. So good job. Have a have a shiny. There you go. But. Uh, Lloyd tells her, like, we have to keep this secret. Don't say anything about it at school because, you know, you can't let people know why you got it, you know. And he, although his exact words are, the police could take you away forever if you do. <laughs> Very blunt. Good job. So, um, I is like, if I can't get a Stella Star this way, then it's back to plan B, my friendship scheme. And so she recaps that her plan is to, you know, go over to, uh, I forget his actual name, Scion Boy, and uh, is... What's that? Damien, wasn't it? You, I think you're right. Scion Boy. I was going to say, uh, I think I just remember him having, yeah, the exact name you would expect for that kind of kid. I feel like there's no one in the world named Damien that's not a fucking cock. <laughs> uh, 
Damian Wayne? Is that the first one you're going to? Super cop. No. No, I'm trying to think of start I, actually the first Damien I thought it was Damien Sandow I was like no huge cock like because <laughs> that was the character he was a yeah. huge dick bag anyway uh, I, I give up so um Anya recaps that her plan is to you know bring up the fact that she's got a dog to Scion and uh you know he'll be like oh well then you know bring it to bring it to my house and I'll show that my dog's bigger than yours and Anya's like I'm going to save the world so many times. But she has like an evil look on her face while she's thinking this. It's like, what's wrong with you, girl? So she brings this up to uh, to Becky, her her good friend. And of course, because she's six, she's completely forgotten about the whole Starlight Anya thing, which is a relief to Becky. Uh, and she's like, what kind of breed is it? Uh, it's a white dog. Well, how is it? I mean, he's big, you know. Uh, but Becky's like, well, well, if he's a cute dog, you know, we, you know, we should we should get together and have our dogs play together. It's like, oh, uh, or she calls it. She says weasel. So either that's her dog's name or she's got a weasel, which well, she's a super rich girl. She might very well have a weird pet. So it could be an animal called Weasel because isn't weasel spelled differently? So Weasel or no, that's how you that's what that's how you spell weasel. Yeah, I thought weasel had an A in it. No, hold on. Go ahead and look it up. So Becky's like, okay, well, I can come to your... And then Anya's already gone. She goes out to, to Damien, and she's like, guess what I got? A dog! And Damien looks at her and goes, so what? <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm right. We still has an A in it. V- really? Yeah, I think that's the, V-Cell. V-A-S-E-L? Yeah, I think this is V-Cell. Yeah. Like, no. like Ellie V-Cell okay. from uh, Night... From what? From Night, uh, the the book about the Holocaust. No, it's a very sad See, book. <laughs> it's very important to read. Well, it, about but... the Holocaust? No. Oh man, it's brutal. I have a I have a tangent to go on at some point about a show I watched. Okay. We'll save that for another time. All right. So Anya gets a shocked look on her face. She looks like you know a horror reaction image, basically, and then she falls to her hands and knees and is like, "Oh no, the world's doomed! My one plan to getting good with this stupid kid has failed." So Damien's hangers on her like, "Ha ha! You managed to lay her low with three simple words. You're so savage." And he's like, "What? What? Did, what was? What, what, what? Oh, he didn't be mean to be mean to his crush. He <laughs> was just like." I just didn't know what, like, what do you want me to say? Did you have a dog? It's such a little boy thing, you know, like, yeah, so what? You just not understand. Does your dog the... fight crime or? <laughs> so you have a dog. Why should I care? It's not, it's, it's, it's an icebreaker, you stupid kid. <laughs> so he sees that Anya's upset, though. And so he's like, what's your dog's name? And. His hangers on her like, what the fuck are you? But Anya gets a bright look in her face and she's like, ah, his name's. Dog, because she hasn't named him yet. And Zavian turns back on her and is like, you are wholly unfit to own a pet. (laughs) That is not a six year old insult. (laughs) So at lunch later that day. Uh, Anya is trying to come up with a name for her dog. She's asking Becky, how do you name a dog? It's it's such a very little kid thing to do. It's like, how do I do that? You know? Um, So she's having difficulty trying to think of one. Becky says, maybe you could do something that describes how he looks. And she's just like, 
furry. Uh, okay, maybe just let your mom and dad name it instead. <laughs> she gets home. Henry Caninger K- K- greets her at the door. Uh, and uh, hello, I understand they just... I was the topic of much conversation at your domicile <laughs> this day. <laughs> what news have you returned to the front too big to me? <laughs> What is your decision? Will it be peace or war? I am fine with either. As long as I get my belly rubs. <laughs> you know what's on the sticks. Uh, so, Lois just they take him for a walk. They go to a dog park. Um, Anya makes the note that she wants to hold the doggy string, which is what she calls the leash. And Lloyd's like, when you're older, he, he is he will overpower you immediately um he talks about how you know you've got to be responsible for him you've got you know you know you've got to discipline him properly and then he you know after that you know he gives very like mature a little bit too mature advice for you know caring for a pet and stuff and then when talking about his name she's like oh i'm really bad at picking a name and he's like well you need a name that's easy to call and easy for the dog to discern so i've heard that they prefer plosives and other hard constant sounds (laughs) you fucking nerd (laughs) and so your has a very like ditzy moment because she hears dogs prefer explosives (laughs) She has an imagined conversation of asking Henry Kane Hunter how she wants him to, how he wants her to kill the target. Do you want me to stab the target? No. Poison? C4 again? You always want to use C4's Henry Kane Hunter. It's the only way to ensure there will be nothing left afterwards for the police to put together. There must, be, there must be no evidence left behind. You must make a statement, but at the same time, you must leave yourself mysterious. <laughs> so, they go into the dog park. Anya's running around. She's trying to get Henry Kinninger to play fetch, but she doesn't have a frisbee or a ball or anything, so she throws her shoe instead, and he's like... What do you want me to do with this object? I do not understand. This is not delicious nor fun to play with. That is clothing. Clothing should not be put in mouths. <laughs> Unless it is your mother's shoes, in which case I will happily chomp down on them to bite by time. <laughs> my favorite meal. It, it, it helps me to assuage my anxiety, which occurs whenever I'm left inside the home alone for more than 15 minutes. Um, oh no. I have no concept of time, so I understand that you have been <laughs> gone for forever, I believe, is the exact time. When you went away to school, the reason I was so happy to see you back was because you had been gone for 17 eternities straight in my eyes. <laughs> oh, this is a horrible existence I live. Now oh, back look, to I... the shoe. <laughs> <laughs> the key to understanding the shoe is to understanding life. <laughs> understanding the soul. Not the soul, but the soul, inner soul, not bottom soul. It, it is, it is a, it is a homophone. You see, a homophone is. Oh, is that the soft food you brought for me? <laughs> oh, and I, I shall continue this lecture at another day. <laughs> you may go now. We are done. <laughs> <laughs> but, but make sure you are back at the exact moment that my food is done. Otherwise, I'll take you and abandon me forever. <laughs> So 
Anya thinks that the reason why he's not uh, following her directions to play fetch is because he doesn't have a name yet. So she starts just dashing around to random people in the dog park. It's like, what's your doggy's name? What's your doggy's name? Why should you name that that and stuff like that? So she comes up with all these ridiculous names like Lucky Vanilla Princess the Third, Mick Angel Charlie Shogun. <laughs> I'm sure um, I've told the story before, but anyone who's a long time listener Weekly Manga Recap will remember I used to have a cat named Liam. And my mm-hmm. favorite, he was named after Liam Neeson. And anytime mm-hmm. I took him to the vet, the confused fate, like look on the vet's face as they'd come out to be like, Liam Neeson? And then I'd walk up with my gigantic fat cat, like, here you go. <laughs> and I'm like, here it is. <laughs> like, oh, uh, I thought I was in for a crazy day. So I'll just take care of your grossly overweight cat. The thing is that Liam Neeson is also in the vet's waiting room every time. That's why there was all that confusion. Dog damage. When am I going to be able to get up there and get my dog in? <laughs> I just keep... Mr. I just keep... Mr. Neeson, that's... <laughs> Mr. Neeson, that's... That's a children's drawing. I drew this myself. I have a very particular set of skills. None of which includes art. <laughs> but I try. I practice every day. This time I made sure that the doggy had four legs. Isn't that nice? <laughs> anyway. There's there's a, there's an uh, an introspective moment that happens in this that it's, it it disrupts the very cutesy entirety of the rest of the chapter, but um you know Anya's like riding around on a, on the dog while he's running around with the other dogs. She like, you know, falls down into the ground. She's laughing and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, Yor just says, oh, she's enjoying herself. Isn't that nice? And Lloyd just thinks to himself, I, what he just said to Anya, you have a responsibility to care for this creature for its whole life. And he looks at Anya and thinks, who am I to talk? When my mission is over, this so-called forger family will be over, too. The agency will do what they can for these two. But, of course, I'll never see them again. After the crisis we had, it couldn't be more clear that the peace between East and West is merely the thinnest of veneers. We need to bring this Cold War to an end, and soon, that's the best possible feature for everyone. So, aw, he's going to miss this family if, if when he leaves them. That's what he didn't say, yeah. but that's what he feels. Sometimes it's what characters don't say. That's the important mm-hmm. thing. Lloyd says it's time to go home, but Anya realizes her gloves are missing. They've fallen off at some point while she's been playing. And she's like, oh, that's my favorite pair, and they're looking around for them. Henry goes sniffing around for them, and oh no, a mean-looking bulldog has got Anya's gloves in his mouth. So Anya's like, give those back! And the dog's like, and Anya can read his mind, and he's like, I found this treasure, it's mine! And uh, Henry just kind of comes up to the bulldog, looms over him, and just kind of Taps him on the shoulder, (laughs) and the dog drops The dog falls, like, on its butt, like, It's like, yes, now you understand what uh, can be done with a non-violent approach. Do not test me again, or you will see what the <laughs> violent approach is. And I assure you, you will be on worse standings than your butt at that point. Anyway, when we are, when things have calmed down a bit, I will be back to uh, to sniff your butthole, so I hope you will oblige me. Yeah. In, future, <laughs> in future meetings between us, there will be shaming no animosity. <laughs> we shall sniff crotches like best friends. So, Henry returns the gloves, and Anya recalls a scene from her favorite anime, where Bondman, the spy, returned the uh, stomach warmer that had been taken by the League of Evil from 
Princess Honey. This sounds like an awesome show. Anyway, so Anya's like, you're just like Bond, man. You got my clothes back for me. And then she looks down at his paws and is like, oh, you've got the black you know, gloves and feet that match up like with Bond man's outfit. Uh, and so Anya's like, I picked a name after our doggy. And they get home and she gives him a big old bow tie of a collar and says, this is our dog, Bond. And... So they're like, all right, sure. It seems like he likes it. He's got a cute collar. And Lloyd's like, well, B is a good plosive. (laughs) You fucking nerd. (laughs) So Anya's like, all right, Bond, it's time for your first mission. Eat all this dog food. Um, She eats a bit herself. (laughs) Um, I also like how the dog looks at her and she stares back. She's like, I've had worse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, she introduces him to his toilet, which is a litter box style thing. They have them. I, yeah, I, I I'm surprised the dog. His I guess he no, he can't read her mind. I I don't know. I'm surprised the dog would immediately use that though. <laughs> also, he was just at a dog park. How does he still have poop in him? <laughs> uh. Then I is like, all right, Bond, let's watch cartoons. It's time to discover your roots. And they watch Bond Man together. Oh, his little tail's wagging. And Lloyd's a little annoyed because he's like, study time. Come on. get uh, But time passes as uh, and after uh, you are done the dishes, she's like, oh, hey, Lloyd, look, look. And Anya is curled up with 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 the Bond and they're sleeping together. And it's very sweet. And Lloyd's just like, all right, maybe we'll give her a pass tonight. It's a very sweet chapter. But Chris, most important thing that we've got to decide. Do we continue with Henry Kaniger impression? Henry Kissinger impression, rather. Or should we switch to doing a Sean Connery voice for Bond? I mean, a Sean Connery one is great, but come on. You, you can't, we can't beat Henry Kaniger. Come on. We're gonna we're gonna ha- we're gonna have to like it, it, I mean the longer the series goes on, people like why do they do a Henry Kissinger voice for Bond? <laughs> I mean, come on, there's so Shouldn't many. Shouldn't they options? do like <laughs> there's there's Sean Connery and all those other actors who played Bond who have not nearly <laughs> as identifiable an impression to go with them. Uh no, I mean obviously, like even at the end, my mind was just him like. I was hoping for a nice Chianti to end the evening with, but I suppose this will be adequate. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Yeah, this is a very sweet chapter of of Spy Family. I love the conclusion and the the way that uh, Bond is named because it's like, hey, you know, continuing the spy references and stuff like that, but also doing a nice justification for it in universe. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like his new bow tie. So. Yeah, I, I think it was a very sweet way of doing it. I really enjoyed it. Let's do Eden Zero, Chris, because it's live oh, now. We it? can actually read the chapter. Right, let's let's load up Eden Zero, chapter eighty-five. Loading, 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 loading. Eighty-five, our future. I think heroes started to get a foot. Look fetish. at my feet. Yeah, I, I was like, I think, Chris, heroes started to get a foot fetish starting to like it's starting to really be obvious now that all right anyway rebecca woke up she she was in the she was i don't know what you'd call it she was in the darkest timeline 
and use Leaper yes. to jump back into the past. That's where we wake up. She, she used Leaper to make sure she caught the die instead of landing, letting it land on five. Yeah. And she's very, very happy because she's like, ah, you know, it, it was all just a dream. I had just the scariest dream. Uh, but then basically something immediately happened. She's like, wait a minute. That's what happened before. Maybe this isn't a dream. So uh, she basically just grabs a towel and starts heading over to the group because they're about to head out on the mission now. Heaven forbid I grab clothes. I've got enough time to do both. But oh, she's got to she's got to stop them before they get out. She, yeah, she, she, she has to get them right there. And it looks like she even. I think she actually just like uses the bed. She uses like the bed sheets instead well, of the towel. She, yeah, she, yeah, it looks like she does that. Uh, yeah. Well, I think she also travels in the bed. Because she's sitting in something. I think that she calls them up on communicator before getting out of the bed. Oh, is that what she does? Oh, okay. That makes sense. So, yeah, they're like, oh, cool, Rebecca, you're okay. And she's like, ah, good. You guys. You can tell how relieved I am by my cleavage. Yeah, exactly. So she basically calls everyone together for a meeting and explains everything that happened. She's like, yeah, it felt you know so incredibly real. I can remember the fear and pain like I was there. In my lost, in my dream, he lost a dragon and he killed Cheeky. And everyone's like, "Yeah, but it was just a dream, right? It doesn't doesn't matter." Hermit's like, "Well, it's never been scientifically proven that anything like this exists, but if we assume that Rebecca has gone back in time, that might explain it." And it's like, "It's such a weird way of putting it." I was like, "I guess in a universe where a magical space dragon could eat years off your planet's life." I guess it makes sense they would immediately jump to time travel as the only reasonable solution. Uh, it is a bit odd, but it works, I guess. Well, the problem that I have with it is Hermit being like, there's nothing that can prove that that people can have dreams that let them, you know, see the future. But if she went back in time, <laughs> <laughs> now that would make sense. Which in a in a world where, yes, you know, as they go on to explain, the chronophages exist and things do get their time eaten and go back in time. Then I guess that there would be some establishment for why she would think that. But it is still such a weird thing of like, no, no, you can't see the future with your dreams. You can jump back through time, maybe, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they explain like, yeah, you know, it's like when your powers first developed, you know, you you felt like uh, somehow you were going backwards in time or something like that. So if we hypothesize that that feeling indicated the true nature of those eighth care powers, then it's possible that you experienced some events in the near future and then came back to this point in time. Colloquially, you made a time leap. So she did it. She went back in time uh, and she keeps all of her memories. Uh, specifically, which is the unique thing about it. Yeah. So, like, oh, if the chronophage happens, everyone becomes who they were at that time. Weiss doesn't mm -hmm. have his old man memories, he says. Uh, but Rebecca kept hers, and they kind of noted that they're all pretty awful. It's all really sad, and they're like, "I have trauma." <laughs> well, they kind of also Maybe. seem to indicate that the trauma is not as bad because she could kind of treat it like a dream. That it, it's, Cop out. I was like, it's not as Cop much memories out. as it is a dream for her. But yeah, anyway, uh, she's like, yeah, it's only a possibility of what happened will happen. But she's thinking like, all right, well, I guess what do we do? And she immediately realized like, oh, shit, 
they captured Labilia. Like, she must already still be captured. So she pulls up Labilia's YouTube channel. Uh, there's a, a funny moment where she contacts one of the other B-Cubers from the, the whole Gilst mission. And she's like, hey, what's up with Labilia? It's like, oh, I haven't seen her in a while. But you know with these new B-Cuber policies that have rolled out recently? Now you can't get ad revenue on bullying videos. So I think her career's kind of going down. <laughs> and I was like, it's a weirdly on-point reference. Very good. Logan Paul's really upset. Space Logan Paul is really upset. <laughs> Space Paul. <laughs> um, so yeah, they don't like, hey, she hasn't updated her social media in a week. She hasn't updated her B-Cube in a week. They got her. So everything actually is going to happen. And she starts panicking because she's like, oh, no, that means we can't be Draken. Uh, but I can't just abandon her. And Pino's like, but she was kind of like a super bitch to you. And she's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, but we used to be friends. That's a weird thing to make note of because... Labilius made no indication of that at all. Mm -hmm. You would think in, for example, there was that time when she, you know, tricked Rebecca into getting slimed that she would have made reference to that saying like, oh, come on for old time's sake or something like that. Some hint of it. This seems to really come out of the blue, though. Yeah. So. Uh, Shiggy slams his hand on the table, though, and is like, all right, well, if she's Rebecca's friend, then she's my friend, too. So they're going to go rescue her. And they're like, yeah, you know, we'll never win in a fair fight. But this isn't a fair fight because we have all the information about the future. And information is the best weapon possible. So Rebecca's like, all right, time for a strategy meeting. Before that, gets uh, you've never you never seen my chainsaw katana then. Uh, that is the best weapon, actually. You know what? Information second, your chainsaw katana is the number one. That one's it's mm, chef's kiss. It's also got a dragon living inside the hilt, so I can just you know flip it around and <laughs> dragon comes out. So there you go. Yeah. Uh so Shiki, uh every everyone gets knocked over because the first real big event has happened. Those three people dun, dun, dun. invade the ship, and we get the exact same scene, like the exact same panel of the three of them walking and saying, Kill them all. Don't break anything that looks valuable, Maria. Uh, so they're like, oh, shit, I thought they came in because we invaded their ship. Well, looks like they were going to break in either way. And she keeps it's almost like they're villains. <laughs> and she keeps like, so far, everything's following the future you saw. But guess what? From now on, it's going to be our future. Punch, punch. Dun, dun. That's a very large sound effect. That's on yes, that it's huge. Uh, eh, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we basically explained all this stuff last week anyway, because it was a it's an obvious enough, you know, mechanic for it to be used. There's nothing really interesting that gets established in this. And it's very much treated like the cop out that I think that we were expecting it was going to be. I was just like, yeah, it's going to be fine now. Um, we don't even get any tension at all whatsoever in terms of how much Rebecca remembers or how much she's willing to believe that it, she actually traveled through time. Because they just flat out say, yeah, you probably jumped through time. So I guess we'll just use all that information you knew in order to win. So there you go. <laughs> uh, I, I do like that we're seeing the same events like exactly like I do like getting that same panel again and like actually show like. Since the first time they were super fucking annoying, lame clowns who got beaten. And then later on, they're like, no, no, all these characters were actually super important. It does seem kind of cool that now we're actually going to get to see them. Um, 
But I think the big takeaway I took out of this is like, does, so is every future Eden Zero arc going to have to write itself around the fact that Rebecca could just jump back in? Like, I understand she doesn't seem to really have she, full she control of it. She just not activate it, so yeah. But even then, it still feels like that's something you're going to constantly have to work around. Admittedly, it does definitely explain why the hell uh, Joe was so hell-bent on getting that ability but it doesn't because... explain why he was just willing to let her hang out in that room until the power developed like when he knows she's using it he's like oh no stop her i was like wait did you have no other precautions to her ability to immediately well, jump backwards get... in time we couldn't put monitoring in the bathroom yeah I... but why not <laughs> well also just like didn't you have like gas in her room or something like that like i don't know like someone constantly watching and punch her in the face as she tries to jump backwards in time i was like for an ability that undoes everything so completely and can happen almost instantaneously i feel like he would that he knows about i feel like he should have some defense to be like oh let's let's, let's make sure that's there so she can't just go in a corner and jump backwards in time immediately what if he's like establishing security with someone and they're like, all right, so we're going to have her under 24-7 constant surveillance. The very moment that she Adele has this ability, we will know about it. We're not going to let her out of our sight. Anywhere that she can possibly go, we will keep an eye on her. All right. You're going to let her pee, right? I mean, we don't have to leave her alone. So what if she takes a bath? Are you just going to like watch her while she's naked? I mean... Yeah, this is she can travel through time. It is the most dangerous ability. Yes, we are going to watch her while she bathes. And then Joe's like stands up out of the bathtub. Like, That's fucked up that you would just watch someone while they're bathing like that. What's wrong with you? This is very uncalled for. I'm disgusted. I have standards until I don't. <laughs> You're making me very angry. Kills that guy. <laughs> Breaks their neck, rips out their heart, and uses it to suffocate their child. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes I just kill people. <laughs> oh man, I could have made money for that guy, but he pissed me off. All right, let's talk about Mashal. It's the Quidditch chapter of Mashal. Mash Vended in the game of brooms. Everyone is flying around with playing their fake faked Quidditch game. Oh boy, look at the things are heating up. And everyone's like, why is that one guy not flying? And Mash is just saying to himself, I told him I can't ride a broom. We actually get a flashback to the previous day. And Mash is delivering a freaking sermon to Finn. It's like, oh, this is important. When, you know, when you're making cream puffs, you gotta use warm batter. That's what you how you get a mouthful of happiness. And Finn's like, wow, yeah, cool. Um, Tom Knowles, who is the captain that recruited Mash, approaches him. And is like, hey, you know, you should, you know, you, you should, you should be in a duello match. You can't spell life without fire, so let's burn. He is a very stereotypical shonen manga jock, uh, which is different from a Western media jock. Because he's like, you know, burning youth and all that stuff. Um, and uh, so he's like, come on, let's go. We're going to compete and use our brooms and stuff. And Mash is like, I can't ride a broom. Oh, come on. I saw you in class. You blew everyone away. Come on. Game's tomorrow. <sighs> Apparently, he like shouts so much that he loses his breath very easily, I think is the impression I get from him. Um, and Mash is just like, 
gets talked into it, I guess, eventually. The captain eventually flies down to Nash because he's just been sitting there the entire time. He's like, are you even trying to spill fire with the stars of your dreams? And Nash is like, what? Didn't we promise to be number one? I didn't. You're not going lukewarm on me, are you? No. Remember the mighty bamboo. But you tight. Bamboo can survive any climate. They're strong and supple. You need to bamboo it. And Mash just says, this guy's hopped up on drugs. You're standing in front of him, Mash. <laughs> At this moment, Tom finally says, all right, I haven't told you the rules. <laughs> Seems important. He says you pass the ball through the ring for 10 points. It is exactly like Quaffle only Quidditch, basically. Uh, he says you can't use magic. All you can use is broom technique. And then he says bamboo that can't fly are just sprouts. I think you know this, but I put my all into this game, and that's why I recruited you. I'm heading back out there. You can join me. Or, and then an, an opposing player shoulder checks him flying in. And he's like, oh, I didn't do that on purpose. Uh, Nick, I think he did it on purpose. I think he did it on purpose. I think that Slytherin was playing dirty. What? Why is the most evil house always cheating? The house we specifically organize all of our evil and racist members into always cheating. <laughs> Why are they all white? <laughs> well, there's. Uh, sorry, I, I take that back. Blaze Zabidi is uh, black in the movies, at least. Anywho, so... The Lang Dorm is taking a 40-point lead over the Adler Dorm. Tom apparently has broken something from being shoulder-checked, and he shouts over to the guy who hit him like, Where is your sense of sportsmanship? And the guy's like, Who cares about that rot? All that matters is winning. Enjoy your nap, wusses! Uh, and so Tom's really upset. He's like, okay, look, you know, they've got a big lead. There's not a lot of time left, but look, I wanted to listen, match. Winning isn't what matters. What matters is whether you give it your all. So Mash hunches down and jumps into the air and then stops in midair. They're like, wait a minute. He's flying. What? And zooms in on Mash and he's like Yoshi air waddling. Yeah. So they're like, he's kicking his legs a lot. He is kicking his legs so powerful that he can hover in the air like a helicopter. And he declares, time to put a fork in them. Nash is an odd boy. <laughs> I mean, how great would it have been if he had followed up there? Like, it just became his catchphrase, and he was like, God is dead. Pass me the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so they pass him the ball. And he's like halfway across the court. So they're like, there's no way he's going to score a goal here. He throws the ball like a rocket and it flies through the hoop and everyone's just like, uh? and then one random girl in the audience is just like, Sacre bleu! Uh, yeah, I'm like, all right, one French student. Did you, by the way, did you see the one chart JK Rowling put out where she put out like where all the kids would go to magic school? <laughs> And there are six different European schools and one, one for all of South America. <laughs> there was like one for like 80% of Africa. And someone's like, that's like 200 different languages that would be going to one school. Oh, uh. fuck's sake. So 
people are still like, well, time's nearly up and they're down 40 points. So who cares? And then the ball arcs back towards Mash because he puts spin on it. And I love the comment that someone makes, which is, what the physics? (laughs) But yeah, he put a lot of spin on that ball. So it arced back towards him. And he just launches the ball continuously approximately 50 times a second and maxes out the scoreboard. And so they win. And people are like, oh, wow, not bad. (laughs) So they get a silver coin. Mash got his first silver coin. Hooray. He he he. He did a sport, and he was rewarded for it. My favorite part is he gets his silver coin. He's like, it's not even really coin-shaped. <laughs> like, <laughs> triangle. I do love that thing. Like, it's not even really a coin when you think about it. Harry Potter reference number two, three, because I've been talking about Quidditch this whole time. But um, whenever I imagined the money in Harry Potter, because it was specifically referred to as a golden galleon, I like imagined like a gold miniature ship with like sails and stuff because, you know, it's a galleon. And then, of course, in the movie, it's just like they're coins. It's like, oh, I don't know why they're called galleons, though. Oh, well. Um, Finn congratulates Mash and uh, he says, thanks. I'm never doing that again. Tom approaches him. And gives him a manly hug and says, thank you. And Mash is like, I'm really not good at dealing with this type of guy. Uh, but he was apparently interviewed after the game and was and uh, the quote says uh, he uh, credited his victory to his upperclassmen's exuberant encouragement. So that was, that was nice of him. Uh, and. Uh, so there's a bizarre boy reading this who says the one from the interest exams. And then he, I don't know, casts a hole through the newspaper over Mash's picture. And he's like, ah, they risked failing for a perfect stranger. What's naivete? They'll be next. Dun, dun, dun. This is how much, this is okay. How much ink but, is wasted on that newspaper, man? It's all in black, yeah. and then the words are white. Go on. Yeah. Or unless maybe trees in the magic world are naturally black. Like, like when you make paper, it's naturally black, so it's easier to make white ink. Maybe. Mm. This is lore. Yeah. We gotta get something big, big and important out of this chapter, because it was just kind of a filler. So. I mean, it's still funny, and I do like this new character. He is kind of charming that he's like the stupidly high-energy shonen protagonist character that usually mash would be but because mash has to be like the straight man he can never really make a ton of sense until it's time to be emotional like he can never actually have a real conversation with mash he just has to have his one-sided screaming like we'll all be star flowers of the sky soon with our friendship taking us to the top like i don't know what this guy is talking about of course you do. We're all sunflowers shooting upwards, flying higher and higher. Bamboo, Chris, is very different. <laughs> I know. Um, so I enjoy it. Uh, I hope, like Cedric Diggory, he dies. And uh, we just continue on. <laughs> wow. Anyway, if I didn't even read Goblet of Fire. <laughs> Mission Yozakura family. 
Mission 27, the Yuzakura family maid. I forgot about this character. And then she showed up and I was like, God damn it, this character's back. Nick, uh, so we, we haven't gotten to them yet. But there's two chapters this week that are definitely 100% on the way to ending. They are wrapping everything up. Mm-hmm. Do you feel bad that it does not seem like Mission Yuzakura family actually is now? Well, we will get past stuff like this, so <laughs> I, I, so Ayaka apparently is now the maid for the Yozakura family, um, or she decides, I guess, halfway through to join them. There's a big shot of her in the maid outfit, and apparently her legs uh, were momentarily much longer because her waist is about two thirds of the way up her body, uh, so. No, three quarters. Yeah, that's a very long skirt. Anyway, so she's like, I'll be training you in assassination techniques while I'm working here. Oh, it was a wacky thing where where Tayo gets to train while he's doing regular stuff. And it's a whole chapter dedicated to to wacky wacky training. (laughs) (laughs) The brother not shows up. He's mad at him at the end. I love that <laughs> we've been talking about it. Like, oh man, you know, it's nice when this series gets away from just the nonsense stuff about a character who's obsessed with Tayo or Mutsumi, and uh, it isn't just some chapter where, uh, hey, Tayo, you have to do a normally banal thing, but now it's it's a death trap to train your, your spy skills. <laughs> and as soon as we got done with, like, the interesting arc, I was like, oh no, no, we still got more of those left. I've got ideas in the tank. And, like, you want to just be like, idea. You have an idea in the tank, and you just keep cycling it through over and over. Anyway, moving on. Samurai 8. Hey, remember Nanashi? They showed up last time. Isn't that nice? It's nice to see her again. Good for them. Uh, Nanashi, so, I think, was non-gendered. Uh... They noted that they act. They never did actually establish. I think directly. I would say the last last time I remember, I don't think they were established with the gender. But it said that they were biologically male, but they seemed to indicate that they acted like a woman. I don't remember. Anyway, so but yeah, you're right. Thinking back to it, Nanashi kind of was didn't actually give a proper answer about who what gender they were, and then. Hachimaru was like, if you got a penis, you're a boy. Uh, anyway, so an interesting uh, thing that I realized is that uh, back when uh, we first met Nanashi, they used like their hands to, as like kind of to talk to them. Uh, they're part of their key holder now, which is a cool development. Carry on from that. So, yeah, there's, you know, the like animalistic head in the middle and then there's two heads on the sides, which represent the left and right. So there you go. Um Nanashi has the ability to send forth an astral projection to spy and also interact with things and such. So they send that ahead. Uh, we go straight into the at, at his headquarters. He is bowing down to the skull thing that we were indicated was a bad thing. And I think in is, the big thing is with, that not Armonia just as the best character in Death Note? Definitely looks like it, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm in this series now. 
I believe it was established when Furumio showed up before Dharma and Hachimaru, what this was. Anyway, Ada's bowing down to it, and they're like, ah, there's a, there's a mantelist box, Thorn Planet, Locker Ball of Furumio. And Ada's like, ah, to think it was so close all along. You must go at once. Yes, master. Cool. Uh, the Gover, he's brought Hachimaru's key before all of the other clones, and Anne's like, what have you done to Hachimaru? And he's like, do not worry, Samurai, do not die so easily. He will be useful to me, though not as useful as you. Okay. And then he's like, absorb the power from the key. And then take Hachimaru Samurai soul. Use it as a weapon. They're like, yeah, okay. And it's such a sad little moment. Because Anne's like, I will stop them. And he goes and she goes and grabs a sword and she can't pull it out of the scabbard because that was the thing that was established at like the beginning of the series that you can't pull a samurai sword out unless you're that samurai. So he grabs her by the throat and says, behave yourself if you want your life spared. You're going to spare her life anyway. You want to use you, you've said that you want. Never mind. So they all hook into Hachimaru's key thing. And they're all connecting to it. They're all going to sap his power out. And now the space where we are lacking will be filled. The seven keys will be whole at last. Goodbye, Hachikaku. But at that moment, Nanashi's astral projection appears before Hachimaru in his cell. Says, hey, are you, are you all right? Hey, it's me. You know, It's me, number two in the rankings. And, he, and Hachimaru's like, really? How, how did you get here? And Nanashi's like, I use my samurai form. All right, I'm a samurai now. It's like, aw. And they say, I've got a, I've got a samurai name. It's written with the characters for Seven Desires, so you still read it as Nanashi. And of course, Hachimaru now knows about this because of Ant, the story about Anne's brother. And Nanashi says, children without names like me all look up to this name. It's been the way of things in my town for years. And then they say, hey, are you all right? I promised to meet you in space, but now you're without underwear and in big trouble. And Hachimaru's like, what are you talking about? Remember, you told me that not having your katana was like not wearing any underpants. <laughs> so making callbacks to something that happened 40 chapters ago. That was the only time I showed up. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> also, it wasn't really that great of a quote at the time. So it really wasn't. <laughs> anyway, so, I feel like I just made things awkward. I mean, I'm going to go like, wait, no, save me. But I was like, look, I was taking away oh, much more than that. It's taking everything from me. And now she's like, conveniently, I have heard about the everything that's happened in the plot so far. I know all about that stuff. Apparently. <laughs> Don't know how. <laughs> I I had a very exciting journey. Had we continued for another, like, seven volumes, you probably would have heard about it. I would have been your favorite character, probably. <laughs> so now she says... Look, this time it's my turn to help you, so let's get you out of here and we'll go save Princess Anne together. And Hachimaru's like, well, look, I'm a little touch the wall and I can't get out of here. And Ashi says, I thought you said you were sick of being cooped up inside. And was like, well, I have, but we're up against a guy that even my master couldn't be. I have. And Ashi says, you told me yourself. If you do not draw your blade from its sheath, you will never know how fine it can cut. Now, that was a cool quote. That was a good one to call yeah. back to. <laughs> like, it'd be great. Follows that up with, like, much like not having underpants or something, correct? Look, I really don't remember the quote. I just remember how to do it underpants to be kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> so they free Hachimaru from his restraints. 
And Hachiman's like, why are you doing all of this? And Nasha's just like, because you're my friend. Like, come on, you idiots. But Nasha says, you are my first friend. And you gave me my dream, my calling as a samurai. To always help you is my calling. You want to be like Fudomyo, the shooting star, don't you? To be the next shooting star who makes wishes come true. I believe in you. You were the one who made me think this way. You were the one who granted my wish to be a samurai. You are Fudomyo to me. Ah. God damn it. Like, <laughs> you still have it in you, man. Like, come on. Just do more of this. <laughs> this is really sweet and nice. <laughs> And, you know, think about this. Hachimaru reflects back to when actual Fudomoyo showed up before him and said, like, mumbo-jumbo and everything like that. And it's like, remarked on Dharma's nature, saying, Dead cat or living samurai, it is up for you to decide, and so is what you show to others. I exist in a paradoxical state, both living and dead, in a sense. The answer lies in how you choose to view it. The key to opening a box that is held shut by your assumptions is always found within your own grasp. Your possibilities are as vast as the infinite universe. And Hachimaru starts to regenerate. And it's like, I get it now. Thank you, Nanashi. You helped me realize. And he's not actually, actually, he's not regenerating. He's forming, he's going into a locker ball, basically. And Nanashi starts to panic. But Hachimaru says, don't worry. I decide what form I should take. Just like Fudomyo, whether I'm dead or alive is something I can decide for myself. Meanwhile, all the other clones ready to get their power, but all the spaces aren't filling. What's going on? They're assembling themselves. So I feel like I'm supposed to understand what's happening in the final panel, but I oh, if only don't. there had been a whole, if only there'd been an explanation, some sort of exposition about how this works uh, that was what we needed in this chapter <laughs> I hope the next chapter is nothing but that they're like you know how space how these weird energy cubes normally work is gravity pulls them together and as such let us explain what gravity is like no no stop like one of the clones just just like guys i don't get what's going on can you explain and they're like god number four you're such a dumbass <laughs> You're always the stupid one. All right, dumb, dumb Kaku. Let's still talk about this. <laughs> it's not even a name. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so I, I mean, every time we get a chapter like this out of Samurai 8, I just think, God, we could have, if they were consistently like this, then you could actually enjoy this series. Uh-huh. But as is, like, even though this is a better than usual chapter, it's still not great because it, it really kind of feels like it's in a context where it's not allowed to shine as much as it could. When you consider all the stuff that has led directly up to this moment, especially with Nanashi literally just like, by the way, I'm a samurai. <laughs> so. Yeah. So like, this is one of the ones I mentioned. Samurai is definitely ending because this is. Hachimaru has just unlocked his ultimate super technique. He's going to become a super samurai. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it's kind of good, I guess, that it... Look, I'm going to be sad if Samurai 8 ends, because it's one of the highlights of the podcast every week. Oh, absolutely. It's just shitting all over it. Um, but, as that said, it was also still just a really good chapter and like a reminder that Kishimoto can still write compelling characters and have good moments 
and this is a chapter that didn't bother having to spend time about the world. It just talked about kind of characters and their arcs. So it's kind of sad and bittersweet because it's like, oh, there there could have been a good series here. It's just not all just not all together. Yeah. Let's talk about <sighs> Zip Man, Nick. Zip Zip. I mean, there is a pretty cool fight that unfolds between uh, Kagami and the Sun Wukong uh, zip suit guy uh, who has a power pole, of course. Uh, they exchange fights, and but they also exchange words as they're, you know, going through like powered up forms and stuff because uh, the Wukong guy is like, hey, you know, I'm way more powerful than you. And so, you know, Zip Man powers up to its, you know, demonic form like we saw at the end of the Death Tower arc fight thing. Um, and uh, he mentions like, you know, I've heard that, you know, you are that it's difficult to sustain that. Kagami's like, well, if I'm going to stop you guys, I don't care what happens to me. And Wukong's like. Well, why are you why are you doing that? Why are you trying so hard? He's like, because there's someone I need to save. Oh, okay. Well, if that's your motivation, I mean, I've got someone I want to save too. See, I've got a little brother outside of Japan, and he's sick. But I don't think I should die for my brother because if my brother lives and I die, what would he think? So I'm going to live, even if it means others die. Your philosophy is wrong. But Kagami's like. Whatever the reason, it is never right to sacrifice others. And they could do this big clash. Uh, Wukong powers up in the middle. Looks like he's going to overpower Kagami. It's like, if you keep on worrying about others, you won't be able to save the person most important to you. And Kagami's like, that kind of thinking is not allowed. The only thing I can sacrifice is myself. And he pushes back and he headbutts the zipper, which earns him the victory. It's a cool exchange that I'm sure would have been a really cool fight if we, it had been given more time uh, towards the end of the series instead. Mm-hmm. I really kind of guy in, the guy in the Wukong suit comes out and is like, well, at this rate, you'll eventually break. And Kagami sure enough falls to one knee uh, after the battle. But he's like, just three more. <laughs> and then we get radio is like, hey, this is Henmi. Remember me? Very well established character. Your conversation just now, he's definitely wrong, but you're wrong too, Kaname. If you sacrifice yourself for the boss, can you imagine how your brother and Chino would feel? In the past few months of working together, I understood that you're just like the boss said. You're an idiot who can only see what's in front of him. So I'll use my strength to make you see that we're here. T- you're here. We're here too. You're not alone. We're right here with you. And I have a zip suit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> so I, I know Chino. She has a zip suit as well. Um, yep. I know the driver, truck driver, driver girls there too. Who the yeah. fuck is this other guy? I do not know. He's this. one of the guys who is working for K- K- Koshiro. I don't even remember that there was another person. I thought it was just the truck driver. I legitimately at the end of this chapter, I was like, did, did we meet this person before? <laughs> so there. So yeah, the three of them, all of them, except the truck driver have, uh, these zip suits of their own, uh, the truck driver has some sort of bizarre looking gun. So you can clearly see just like, and here's the stuff that would have happened if the series had actually, you know, been picked up and lasted and stuff like that, because Jesus Christ did. I mean, like, yeah, this is, this gave me huge Takamagahara flashbacks 
Like you remember the end of that series is like the last chapter is just like, and his love interest had a special power too. That was really important. <laughs> so just this power development is coming out of nowhere because like, we got to end the series now. Sorry. You know? Yeah. And they're telling, they're telling Kagami, come on, go to Steel X, go to Koshiro. So that's presumably where the series is going to end in like two chapters, I would guess. So. Yep. All right. Let's talk about We Never Learn, Nick. Chapter 150, X equals ellipses, a pizza bet. (laughs) So we get our color page. Uh, It's several years later, an undetermined number of years later, but less than four because characters are still in university. So presumably like two or three, maybe. Uh, We get our big color spread of all the characters or all the girls, rather. And, uh, hey, the maid cafe is closed for a private event. So Yuega shows up, and uh, it's a welcome home party for Ruka. So everyone's there. Uh, we get little small snippets of everybody kind of having their own things. Uh, we see Sekijo is still there. It seems, I don't know if they establish that she's roommates with uh, uh, Ogata, but they go to the same college as kind of shown They clearly before. hang out a lot together mm. because... They're in seemingly the same classes, and also they have lunch together. Yeah. So, so uh, they have this whole big event there. Um, everyone basically has like their small thing. So Agata's like, you know, I, I get to learn new things every day, and what could be more fun than that? Just like you promised, and you know, Famino's there. They she gets. <laughs> There's to- even a little bit with with Yuiga's buddies yeah. too. You know, like Amori's like. Uh, got this weird new jacket. Like, oh, you noticed? Yes, yeah, so I'm so, since I'm starting college now. And then there's someone's like, it's not a good look. Tell him it's not a good look. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think it's a good look, but whatever. Uh, Firmino's like, yeah, I got to, you know, I got to go to uh, an observatory near the university. I get to like actually use the telescope there. It's it's really good. And you know, he goes like, oh, well, you've got to find your mother's star. She gives him like a big thumbs up on it. Uh, uh, Shumi comes by and she's been drinking a little bit, but she's like, yeah, you know, I'm buried under homework these days. So when I get a day off, I really got to decompress. And she's like, you know what? It's pretty tough, but compared to the fear of losing my dream, this is nothing. Uh, and then Kirisu has a butt joke. I don't know why it's there. Uh, she just, she wanted to always try out a maid costume or no, something. Miharu says that. Miharu wants to. I don't, so she I don't know why Kirisu into it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's like, oh, hey, I heard that the, the school's figure skating team that you started coaching actually won, like, the regional championship. And she's like, Aww. yeah, you know, I didn't really do anything. It's the athletes who really worked that hard. Uh, and at that point, Ogata has apparently been smelling alcohol enough that she's got drunk off of it. So she starts. I do think that they established that in a previous chapter and just how much of a lightweight she is. So, yeah, so she starts getting, like, kind of rubbing on Uega. And basically all the girls kind of start grabbing her uh grabbing him and then aruka shows up and she sees yuega surrounded by all these girls so we we cut to that evening aruka's walking with yuega down by the river he's like hey you know it was just an un- a misunderstanding about all that she's like you know i haven't seen you in months all this time been dying to see you i was i was so excited last night i couldn't sleep and now i don't know if i feel lonely or doubtful i don't even really know why i'm upset and yuega's like well i feel the same so he grabs her hand and he slides a ring, a ring on her finger and says, so, Ruka, will you marry me? And she's speechless. 
she's like this ring he's like oh I, I made it myself you know it's not professional my boss taught me how to and i managed he was talking about metal working early in the chapter yeah. so so he's like oh you know but once i start working i'm gonna buy you a much nicer one this this one's just kind of a, a placeholder so can i have your answer and a bunch of fireworks shoot up into the air and she says yes and we uh cut back to the school festival haven't you heard when they shoot off the first firework on the night of the festival, if a boy and girl are touching when it explodes, they'll be bound by fate. And we see that it was Aruka who was the fireworks girl all along. And that's the end of the series, Nick. This was uh, one of my favorite. I think in, we didn't really know when it was coming to an end, so we didn't really have time to do like a retrospective or anything like that. Uh, but I think still in the gauge of the series... We've discussed, especially recently, I think this is one of the better. What page are you looking at, Chris, by the way? Uh, Nick, this is this. I'm on page 22, which is the only one I need to see. Okay, so you haven't looked to the uh, to the left, to the opposite page. Oh, yeah, I I see that. I'm I'm a page 99 of 100. Don't need to read page (laughs) one. Yeah, who has time to read the last page of a book? (sighs) So... Rumor broke out last week uh, and was confirmed this week by this last page and a note directly from Susui Sensei uh, on the ensuing page that this apparently is not the canon end of We Never Learn because there is no canon end of We Never Learn. There are going to be Concluding story arcs for each of the five main love interests. And Iruka was only the first. The next one is going to be Ogata. And then apparently Fumino and Asumi and finally Kirisu. I'm not happy with this development. Because I think that it is a disservice to whatever you write in each individual story. I know that this is just kind of the way that like dating sim games with this kind of setup are done, because that is how you, you know, have like player protagonist uh, attachment is like, hey, here's these potential options for you to pursue. Choose your favorite. Go after them. Hey, you had a happy ending together. Wasn't that nice? Uh, and also you get some replayability out of it. It's like, hey, why don't you go check out what another girl is like? Follow her route instead. See what kind of romantic stuff you get to go up to and stuff like that. Um, but the prime, the main appeal, I think, is the fact that it's like, oh, you get to choose your favorite girl and you go after them and stuff like that. And being a hero romantic comedy series, as we never learn is, there have been, of course, Playing discussions amongst the fan of, oh, who's the best girl? Which girl should you end up with? Which one do you want to see him end up with? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that this is a cop out because then you're like, well, just choose which one is your favorite. It's like. That's not an author writing a story that is an author writing potential stories and then leaving it up to the reader to interpret which one is the true story. And I think that that is gutless and I don't like it. Now, 
we don't know for certain exactly how this is going to play out. I think the, I think you and I, Chris, have both said when people have asked us about it and we've said on Twitter, like if it turns out to be like there are a couple of chapters dedicated to each of these options, then it'll read like they are, you know, alternative endings and there is a canon ending that I think would be preferable just in the sense that there is a thing that an author decided to do and they wrote it. But here's a little something else in case you wanted to see something different, as opposed to I get to keep on writing this series for nine more months, basically, because it's been 10 chapters that this because it's been like 10 chapters since Aruka actually confessed to Uiga. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go that far back and say that's the branch at chapter one, at the end of chapter 140, like, and then just like a different girl confesses to him, or there's a lead up to a different girl confessing to him, or a lead up to them realizing their feelings for each other, and the branch is at Ruka's confession. That's 10 chapters. And also, there's, you know, all the stuff that came before that that seems to be kind of leaning in Ruka's direction. But anyway. And that is a long time to spend on a series to just be like, and here's another ending and here's another ending and here's another ending. Because it feels like everything from this point forward is just like, OK, now we'll see how this girl round up with Uiga. And also it takes away from the impact of the fact that one of the things that Uiga did to uh, to realize how he felt about Aruko was reflecting and communicating with his dead father, apparently. And basically realizing that he had always loved her. And that doesn't have as big an impact if you say like, but here's how he could have ended up with someone else then. Because it's like, that's not romantic to me, you know. It'll always be like, okay, so then did he just always love these five girls romantically? Or there was, you know, because it wasn't a matter of like, okay. Here's how he fell in love with Aruka. That's not the story that was told. This was the story of how he realized he was already in love with her. Mm. So as he always just been. So at this point in the story, when Aruka confessed to him, if you're going to do five equally weighted entries of girls that uh, Yuya could have ended up with, that means he that he at the point in the story where he took the test and passed it, that he was already in love with all five of them. And it definitely takes away from it to just find out like, well, the thing that decided what he that he was going to end up with them was just which of them confessed to him first. I don't know. That doesn't ring true to me. Now, as far as going forward with this. I'm going to reserve judgment on the way that each thing plays out on its own merits. I'm sure that we are going to still have good times ahead with this. I think that the story of how Yuiga ends up together with Asumi could be cute. I think the story of how he ends up together with Fumio could be cute. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Ogata because she really kind of fell off towards the end of this series. And we're saving the best for last with Kirisu. Oh, no. Uh, but in theory, I don't like this development. Um, and But I guess it's what we're going to have to live with. So I think that there's a lot being kind of said about this that's uh, somewhat overboned. I'm only kind of half joking when I said I think this was a pretty good final chapter for We Never Learn, uh, because I do believe this is the last chapter of We Never Learn as we know it. Um, 
and, and let me just sort of explain. I, I, we're obviously we're getting these side stories, and the chapter does end with like end of route one of five. Uh, I think that this is all potentially something that has sort of decided because I know even Susui's like I've been planning this forever, and I think that's a load of shit. I think uh, there's <laughs> enough clues that suggest that Aruka was the person planned. And there's so many butthurt people about the fact that it was Aruka, that it was something that it was they were, the black girl that they were like, uh, uh, let's, uh, Brown girl, sorry. yeah, let's, let's, let's change it to, uh, anybody could win it. Um, so look, obviously we're going to need to see where these chapters really go, but in my mind, I can't imagine because there's, there's stuff that was done in this Aruka thing. Like if, if you even want to go back to the start of the shimmering ebony mermaid princess arc, uh, if you start exactly there, it's after Aruka's confession to Uega. Mm-hmm. That first chapter is once they're at the snow cabin. So if, if that they, if, there's the conversation between Aruka and the other girls where they're all just get out in the open that they love Uega and stuff. So yeah, it's essentially, it's like, Hey, if if that's supposed to be the branch point, I mean, who knows? We we maybe the next chapter starts and it is right after the test. It'd be kind of weird because the 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 arc naming convention isn't there, but the arc's name actually changed halfway through anyway, so it doesn't really matter that much. But if if that's where the branch starts, then perhaps. But there's so many details that have been done throughout this arc that it it would boggle my mind if they bothered to do every single one like. Every single arc from here forward, if it goes after that branch off point, is going to have to address that Uega is going to turn down Aruka. Like, every one of them is going to have to deal with the fact that, like, I guess three of the other ones are going to have to deal with the fact that Ashumi is going to have to resolve that her feelings just won't be returned. And three of the other ones are going to have to resolve that Ogata's feelings. Like, if all of them are going to address the fact that the other girls are going to let this go and they're going to settle that. And they're all going to deal with some kind of closure with Uega and his father. And they're all going to deal with the these all different small things. And they're all going to have an epilogue at the end that show where these characters are two years later, where he marries the girl. Like, if they do every single one <laughs> Somehow of those... Somehow in one of the endings, like, it's just completely changed the way... The, like, even in one... Because, like, in this one, it, like, establishes that, like, oh, yeah, Fumino's in an observatory. And, like, somehow in, like, the Asumi chapter, it's like, yeah, we haven't seen Fumino since the zombies invaded. <laughs> yeah, like, you're just gonna be like, oh, no one's spoken to Asumi since the incident <laughs> and they just like they cut over to a wanted poster and she's got an eye patch like a cigar and a tommy gun you're like oh man some stuff went down with the sumi in this route like it's just it's one of those things where like if you're gonna keep doing those every single time then i'm gonna be disappointed one because then you are trying to really separate the you're fact that this it. was the one yeah. ending but also, that's just kind of bad Ryan. if I'm gonna have to experience the same plot points four to five times essentially um but I don't think that's the case. I, I think there's just been enough clues. The fact that the anime ending suggested Aruka or implied that Aruka mm-hmm. was going to be one of the girls. The fact that Aruka was the first girl to have her story done. Like, these things to me just suggest that she is the canon ending. And the rest of these are any ending you want. But any ending could be canon if you want. Even I don't have a canon ending. And I... To me, I just that feels like speak to say like, oh, hey guys, don't don't take our volume sales at the very end. You can get your Kirisu chapters, don't you worry. 
Have a somersault makes the point that it's entirely possible that the realization and confession, all that stuff could happen at different points in Yuiga's life. Mm-hmm. And that could definitely affect the way that the uh, story plays out, which is an interesting idea. And it would be a good way to actually introduce some variation. But I think just in general, having this whole structure of like the long drawn out process of like realizing the love and all that stuff, it's going to start to ring hollow after a few rotations. So maybe increase the pace a little bit if we're going to go with this. Yeah. We'll see how it plays out. And uh, maybe we'll actually, but hey, this gives us also four more, four more chances to get a definitive Cheetah uh, was not Cheetah sorry. Uh, Seikijo was definitely in love with Agata. I think, so. I, I'm not going to say if it doesn't happen, it's done. But I think if we're getting, because the next arc is the Ogata arc. If it's going to happen, it's probably in there. Mm-hmm. So if we're gonna get a definitive one, it's probably gonna happen. I hope there. the next yeah. chapter opens up with just like second. So I just realized I'm in love with Ogata. <laughs> <laughs> really, like, there's a small part of me that wants it to happen. Just so you get like the double boy and be like, "Fuck, we are doing these any Andy's can be canon bullshit." Fuck, I owe some pizza. <laughs> All right, Doctor Stone Z equals 142 world power. Uh. Big thing that we do have to kind of increase the pace after having that discussion. And there are some things that do happen in this chapter, but it's planning. Uh, So they make a roadmap, which is actually a globe uh, in terms of what they're planning to do, because something important is established in order to make a fucking rocket ship and go to the goddamn moon. They can't just go with a crew of 150 people working on this. They need way more resources. They made way, They need way more development. So in order to do that, they're going to actually go around and revive more civilizations in order to do that. And they're going to go to places that are rich in certain resources. Uh, so they're like, all right, so, you know, this place and, you know, and. And the uh, in the Pacific is the rubber city. Uh, this place in you know Australia is aluminum city. Uh, and the part that really got me was that like, yeah, and like Asia mainland is math city. Not sure what that means exactly. I, I think the idea is supposed to be technology, but I don't I guess like that's where the equations and stuff are. Like you'd have to go to a place that I presume has done space travel. And if you're already doing America for corn, then going with either the Soviet sure. or the Chinese like space programs would be the best second guy, like one to go with. Because they are actually going to revive people. So, you know, they're going to revive people, establish new cities, get more stuff. And so, yeah, that's what that's what they're planning on doing. Then they can take flight. Um, but, uh, you know, some people bring up like, hey, there was that whole thing that Gen mentioned uh, before about the upper limit on societal groups. Dunbar's number of 150. And if we go around establishing civilizations again, we're going to just blow past that. And Yo brings to the point, yeah, what if there are some real bad dudes mixed in with the people we revive? And Ryusui's like, well, once we establish law and order in the new cities, the people will accept it and everything should stabilize. And Yuki's like, well, it's going to be rough initially, though. And Tsukasa says, that could be a problem, but villains won't be allowed to ruin things. It'll be fine. And a crowd of people just kind of stare at him and they're like, but it'll be fine. <laughs> I do like and they're like, yeah, you're right, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> don't kill me. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, 
so they're like, all right, so we're going. The first thing that they're going to do is, is sail across the Pacific to go to North America. Ryusuke's like, all right, good job. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's going to be like Columbus going to the next continent. And whoever spots and lands first gets a 100,000 Drago prize. And Sukasa's like, what are you guys talking about? And uh, reporter lady, whose name I forget, I should have probably familiarized myself with her after she had that, you know, ro- romance ship tease moment with Sukasa, pulls uh, Ryusuke aside and is like, oh, he's talking about... The- Doraemon, yeah, that's what. Which pulls him aside and says, "Hey, listen, I'm going to be posing very sexily during this very serious conversation. Just ignore that, however. Ignore that. Look, Boichi gets distracted. Okay, so that's why I look like this. Anyway, so she says, like, listen, Sukasa, you know, like hates privilege and all that stuff, and you like are the embodiment of that. So you know, behave around him and everything, and." Ryusuke is like, just kind of like, you know, wits and lets her, you know, speak her mind and stuff. And she's like, I mean, I know you're not as bad as the rumors painted you and stuff. But Ryusuke just says to that, well, either way, too bad. You may hate me with a passion, but I love you. And she's like, fuck. And he's like, I love all women. So that that includes you. Men too. By Icon Ryusui. What a king. So she says, you can't just control everyone with money. But Ryusui says, money is no more than a handy tool created by and for civilization. It doesn't exist to control people. It's there to focus our hearts and minds. And everyone combining their strengths like that unlocks humanity's full potential. Am I wrong? I mean, there's a lot of evidence to say that you are a little inaccurate in this day and age with the oligarchy and the schism between different classes of people anyway we're all gonna work together and go the moon Woo! money all right and uh their first stop is uh america because they need to create a tremendous amount of alcohol in order to revive all the people with their current method and for that they need corn and that's why they're going to america hooray yeah it's a chapter I'm, I'm actually excited i mean I think this is a fun thing. I'm not super excited at the idea of a Dr. Stone chapter to hype us up about corn. Not because I think corn's boring, but like the corn syrup industry is kind of not a great industry in America. But I guess if that's what we're represented by, let's go with it. I, I trust Nagaki to still make it exciting. So... There's that they get to America and they just come across like a group of about 15 people that haven't been petrified and five of them are pushing a truck together and one's kicking a rock back and forth at the zero. <laughs> also, I was like, so is the Dr. Stone world not technically Earth or does Inagaki not own a map? Because I don't know what they're doing. Like, I was like, did something happen to California or what's going on? Don't worry about it. They're going straight to Las Vegas. It's fine. I do like that. Las Vegas is on there. Death March. Death March. Chainsaw Man. Chapter 61 News Reporter. Uh, People are um, dead now because of Juanji ripping through them with their swords okay just so people don't i get i i realize now it has been three thousand years there would have been some changes that makes sense then sorry go ahead 
Um, there is the older man who is one of uh, Denji's bodyguards shows up and he's like, ah, oh, so th- they're away from Chuanji, huh? Okay, you guys t- go take care of the dolls in the department store. Uh, I'm going to handle this. And he says that to uh, the violence uh, devil and uh, Kurose. Or Kurame? Kurame? Kurose? Kurose. And uh, so the mouth hair devil girl is like, I don't know Japanese. And she makes a hole with her ponytail and is like, oh, you've got contracted devils of claw, knife, needle. That's some pretty dangerous, but oh, you're no one special. Let's gobble them up, girls. And we cut away from there. Twenty, of course, had previously just shown up in front of Denji. There's some cool martial arts that happens as she ta- as she just completely destroys everyone around there. Uh, she starts by kicking Denji in the face so hard that they're both carried upwards an entire body length into the air. And then she lands on the ground between people and like breakdance fights to knock some others out. There's a guy with weird earrings uh, who has... Uh, octopus devil and uh he uses that to summon a cloud of ink tries to sneak attack around behind chuan chi and she just spin kicks and knocks him out in one blow to the chin uh gets seems ready to slash his throat or stab him in the face or something like that but old dude from before shows up in front of them like immediately and it's like hey it's been a long time and he's got two of her girlfriends under his arms with a knife to them so she freezes. Denji starts to get up and uh, old guy instructs him and power to restrain the two that he's brought and says, if they try anything, kill him. So Denji's like, power, power, get up. And power immediately gets up. It's like, I was playing dead. Are you impressed? <laughs> and I looked back and it was like, oh, yeah, she's like the one person in that group that didn't hit, get hit at all. She just decided to fall unconscious, I guess. So Twanji goes and sits down. All guy sits down next to, to uh, at the opposite uh, side of the table. They speak uh, and just kind of have like a casual looking conversation. And she's like, hey, where are the other two fiends? And he says, they got away from me. You know, public safety and the police have the area locked down. They're going to get caught soon. And once public safety cleans up the dolls downstairs, I'm going to take you in. So don't move a muscle. And she says, this isn't like Mad Dog Kishibe. You've gotten crafty. Did being collared turn you into a real dog? And he's like, oh, I'm past 50 now. And he holds out a notepad to her that says, Makima is listening. And he's like, yeah, I lost my fangs a long time ago. And he's just, you know, having a conversation while the notepad says the important stuff. Like, if you do what I say, I'll let you go. I'll guarantee your safety. I'm going to kill Makima. We'll tell you everything if you'll help. Uh, and he's holding it in just such a way that Denji and Power can't read it. And she says on the news, there's this reporter who's my type. I've watched that program every day. I'd even buy the magazine she was in, things like that. One day she was exposed for lying about her age. After that, it was like the floodgates opened. Exposés and her ex-boyfriends, power yawns. <laughs> she kept appearing in the morning news regardless, but I stopped watching that program. It wasn't that the reporter had changed. It was my brain that changed. The secret to leading a happy life in this world is that ignorance is bliss. Kishibe, be a good dog and keep your collar on. Some advice from your former buddy. And uh, I 
think that's the guy that she punched out that she kicked out before. No, that's the, no, that's the brother. Different guy. That's the brother. That's the brother. You're right. I got confused because of the eye had earrings. And Sorry. The, the guy that got knocked out before people are saying that was the one who killed the, the middle brother as well. Okay. So younger brother shows up with a gun pointed straight at Denji. Kishibe kicks Denji in the shoulder to get them out of the way. And the gun hits the window. Uh, the girl that Denji was holding gets free, pins him to the ground. She calls out to Chuanji, and Chuanji and Kishibe start fighting and punching each other. That's a cool chapter. I mean, I do like that this guy kind of has more to him. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a side enough character that I'm like, next chapter, his head could just slop off in the first panel. I'd be like, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. But it, it is cool to see. I, I do love the continuing build to this idea that there is just i mean we've seen it but that there's just this dread even in the organization Mm -hmm. about makima which is fine she's fine yeah she's she's cool she's she's nice Mm -hmm. i do also like the continuing thing that like all the intelligent characters keep on dying and it's just you know stupid ass denji in power who are the ones who live because they're just too crazy to be killed so anyway (sighs) promise neverland Chapter 170. Hey, so, uh, well, yeah, turn, we get whole thing. It says essentially that, uh, when, you know, Peter Rotary approached, uh, Rebecca or Isabel, rather not Rebecca is Rebecca's not important. Chapter 170's title is together, by the way, then was like, you know, do you want to escape this endless hell that she was like, you know what? I decided, fuck you. <laughs> because she's like, you know, he's just using my the idea of my freedom as bait and flaunting fear over me. So fuck him. And so from the very moment that she agreed to do this, she was like, my children are going to come back. So I'll do this so that I can help them when they do. Apparently, she's been planning this the whole time. She approached the other moms when she was told to, you know, help them out and was like, hey, uh, I'm going to overthrow all this. I'm not going to let anyone rule over me anymore. If you want to report me, sure, go ahead. You will probably get a promotion for it, but you're just going to continue living in this inescapable hell. If you want to escape from it, stand with me and I'll show you something very interesting. And so they did. And that's why they're all pointing their guns at, at Rotary at the, at the, in the present. And he's like, huh? um, and even Emma, of course, is shocked. She looks at, at Isabel and, is, and says mom, but she you know, hesitates and Isabel thinks to herself, you still call me mom, you and Lanny, Yvette and everyone after all I did to you. And Roger's like, you betrayed me, Isabella. And Isabella says, yes, isn't it obvious? <laughs> she puts it that way. It's like, huh, you were a tremendous dumbass to everything that she was on your side. Why would you make her your last resource? So. Isabel thinks to herself, it would be great if we could return to the time when, you know, the children knew nothing and just say, hey, or if they, you know, I, I wish I could say, I'm sorry, welcome home. I missed you. Good job. You're amazing. If I could say that and hug them dearly. But and she turns to Emma instead says, what's wrong, Chris? That's not what she says. <laughs> just as I'm reading through the chapter again, I, I guess like I'm kind of ahead, but just the idea that Peter Ratchery is like surrounded and he's like, ah! and then just <laughs> he does as I like to put. He pulls as I like to put it a light Yagami. 
Where, if you remember the ending of Death Note, where Light is just like, ah! and it's, you know, all this plants have crumbled around him. I know, I'll just run! He just screams and runs in a direction, and everyone's like, I don't know what to do! Which, in the anime, is very weird, because they're in a fucking warehouse, and he like, man, just open the door, and nobody stops him and stuff. I mean, in this one, Peter Rotri frees his hands off panel, and then grabs a gun from somebody, and... Oh no, let's all stand still for the next three seconds. Oh, you got my gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's my greatest thing. It's just him being like, me lose to death food. Ah! Looking <laughs> down the hallway. And I, like, while it's happening, my mind's flashing back to like two months ago. I was like, I think Peter Ratchet could be a really interesting final villain for the Promise Neverland. <laughs> uh, Why can't this one have alternate endings? <laughs> And now it's time for the Ray ending. (laughs) Thank God. The only ending I want. That's right. That's the ending where I, hashtag Ray, confess my feelings to you, (laughs) Igakun. I'm the fireworks girl. (laughs) Who are you? It's me, hashtag Ray. I've been in school with you this whole time. Gazing at you longingly while wearing my school guard uniform. Truly, this is the romance for the ages. <laughs> you thought you were going to get your Kirisu, your Kirisu ending? No, that's creepy. What are you talking about? That's lame. She's like, you could have the the stunningly... Don't you want to have all of this? The stunningly anointing baby memories princess ending. <laughs> X equals the stunningly annoying baby. <laughs> all right. Uh, there's some stuff. You know, Isabel says that she doesn't expect Emma to forgive her because she doesn't forgive herself. She says, you don't have to call me mom. But when Emma looks at her, she actually views like young Isabella from when she was, you know, a, a kid at the Gracefield house. So they're all on the same side. And Emma just says, hey, thanks, mom. And yeah, Roger's like, no! <laughs> That's him running, by the way. Um Oh my god. I just, like I feel to go back to the Yagami Light reference, when that happened in Death Note, I was like, ha! Look at him, look at that pathetic asshole. You know, because it's like, you know, here's the guy who's been in control the whole time. And you're supposed to look at the horrible things that he's done over the course of the series and think, that guy deserves to suffer and die. I don't care about Peter Rotri. He came into the series so late. He did nothing to establish himself as a character that you would want to hate. He had the one scene where he broke the kid's fingers. And I know that he has been background responsible for all this stuff, but it's not something that has been consistently established through the series. And I don't have any emotional connection to him to have the sense of schadenfreude that this is supposed to evoke. So, yeah. All right. Let's talk about Black, Black Clover. Clover. Page 242, Humans and Evil. And I want to n- note, a lot of people hated this color spread. I absolutely love it. I love all these colors together. I'm an animal. When I was a child, I painted my uh, room with neon blue and neon green stripes. So I like trash colors together. And that's just the kind of person I am. Deal with it. I don't like Yuno's green. I love it. Because it's... It's very plain, uh, but I like the rest of it. I love it. Favorite cover page ever. Uh, anyway, uh, it doesn't work. 
he uses a bunch of gravity and <laughs> makes like a space time hole and just blocks it. Not even establishing what we're talking. It's like they know it. It's the same. <laughs> you remember it's happened three weeks. Grunny now. Uh, he's too strong, and he beats him, and uh, he kills Gauch. It looks like and Asta goes full demon it looks like and it seems as though he's actually lost himself to the demon there was a, a moment he's, where he's he's going he's going six-tailed yeah yeah he he's he's activated demon powers previously but noted that he has a strong enough heart to control them and do what's right and that's what it means to be human but at the end of the chapter it looks as though Gauch has been stabbed through the chest there's a small flashback to somebody saying my dear son and potentially that's Asta's parent. And then mm-hmm. Asta is in his full, like, you know, he's gone further demon and uh, does not seem like he has any semblance of his humanity currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a thing that establishes that Gauch is actually in danger because uh, his power is so strong that he has actually forced Rouge to dissipate. Mm-hmm. It's just overwhelmed by that. So, you know, establishing like, yes, Gauch's life could be immediate danger here because uh, there's no undo button and immediately readily available. Yeah. Well done in that regard. Uh, don't really have the connection to black Clover to think, Oh yeah, it's about time or anything like that. But I, hey, I, something's happening. I, mean, I do. Something, stuff yeah. keeps happening in black Clover. That's good. So I do like it. Um, and I think I'm kind of interested to see where this goes. This isn't me saying like I dismiss it. We're, we're running low on time, so I really don't have time to like go over each little part. But I still enjoy this chapter, you know. So let's see what happens that week, next week. Chapter 173 of One Piece is the Kozuki Clan. All the stuff you thought, yeah, that's how it went. Uh, there's not really anything that happens in this chapter that's like what. So there's some important stuff that gets revealed, but it's mostly like. Yeah, I know you established that or hinted towards it strong enough that I knew about that. We do get the uh, confirmation about Denjiro being uh, Kawamatsu. We knew that. <laughs> no, we, we, didn't, we didn't know that. It was strongly hinted that might be the case since that was the only member of the uh, whatever Akazawa 9 or whatever the name is that we didn't know who that was. Yet that was still a signif- like supremely important character in the Wano arc. So. Denjiro's Kyoshiro, yes. So. Uh, apparently he was so incredibly angry, uh, about what happened to his mentor and his mentor's family that his eyebrows like permanently changed shape. And that's why he has the weird eyebrows as as, uh, Kyoshiro. Mm -hmm. So it is that he's actually so, you know, emotionally stricken that his, his appearance has changed, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Like Silencio from Seis Manos. He gets angry enough. His eyebrows change. That was a little bit silly. Uh, <laughs> um, and of course, he becomes the new mob boss. Uh, we see stuff, you know, when uh, Toki was with Kalamatsu, but then she went missing and ended up meeting up with Kyoshiro again. And uh, he says, like, OK, you know, the day that the great battle comes, you know, we must not tell anyone about me, not even our allies from this day on. I will protect you in Kalamatsu's stead. You must call yourself Kamurasaki. So they hatched their plan. Uh, which we have still not seen what actually it is yet. So that's one of the mysteries still to remain. Other stuff that happens, we see, you know, uh, the others actually getting away. Why certain, uh, we see why the members that got sent through time were separated from the others. 
because the others got, you know, held up fighting against Kaido's goons. And we also see um, why uh, Momonosuke is uh, kind of a coward because Kaido actually literally just burst into their home, uh, knocked out Toki, uh, grabbed him by his entire body in his fist and uh, held him over the ledge and was going to drop him to his death. And it's like, you know, if I kill you, I presume the, the Kazuki clan is finished. Uh, and Momonosuke said to finally, you know, father is a great warrior and I, I one day carry his nation on my shoulders. And Kaido's like, that's a dream someone else put in your mouth. I didn't realize you were so young. And Momonosuke cries out for his father. Kaido throws him to the floor and says, that is Odin's son. Let him perish in the flames of the castle. And he has set the helm ablaze and flies off in his dragon form. Kinemon manages, managed to save them. Toki addressed them all and said, you know, come to me. I have something to tell you all. And of course, that's where they got sent to the future. Uh, say for Hiori. Uh, and they don't really say exactly why, I don't think. Because Toki sends them ahead. But Sen keeps Hiori. She does. She delivers her big thing about, like, you, know, you know, about her prophecy and sending them ahead. And, you know, you, you know, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not exactly. sure why Toki didn't send her ahead. I, I'm sure there's some logic to it that maybe we haven't gotten or it's been kind of lost in all this. But yeah. And we do. The, I think the last important detail is we see Orochi after, you know, all of them had escaped. He's sitting in a literally boiling, scalding hot bath. Uh, but he says, I can't stop shivering. Bring me the bones of the Kozuki samurai. Why can't you find them? So, of course, the this whole time, you know, those rumors that he is deathly afraid of them returning have begun already. So people are saying that it's just in case uh, Momonosuke died, there'd be another heir, which I guess. I mean, that makes sense. I don't know if it's ever explicit the, the the whole time travel thing felt kind of weirdly paced because I had trouble sitting. I was like, so when did they send like there's no instance where it looks like she specifically uses her power don't even see it happen yeah. and they go someplace so that's probably i think that this is one of those cases where even at the conclusion of the flashback we're not going to have the entire story of what happened because it'll be more dramatically impactful if we see it explained in the present when something big happens Anyway, so that's it. That's One Piece. It was it was a necessary chapter, I guess, in order to connect from all of this and in order to like drop the last few remaining plot threads before we catch up in the present. Um, although it's not established even yet that we're going to end this flashback yet. Uh, but it seems like we're running out of things to do before we go back to the present. So. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm really excited to like again. I, I, I'm ready for that chapter where we go back to the present and we deal with the fact that it looked as though the entire war has been ended before it started, mm -hmm. and what happens. Like that's where I'm just like, I wanna see that, and I love this arc. I love this flashback. It's been going on for like four months now. I am ready to just. Get my body me. is ready yeah like i just like i want to get there 
Okay, that, guys, is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap this week. So it's time to name our favorites. What were your favorite chapter and MVP, Chris? Uh, favorite chapter is going to be Spy Family. I think that was a really fun chapter this week. Uh, okay, uh, I'm going to echo you on Spy Family. I thought it was the best chapter. Uh I think there's just a lot of like just kind of necessary chapters that happened this week. And so you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this in order to set up for this. There's no like, oh, this is a big thing that happened. And even in the ones where it was, we made fun of them. So (laughs) uh, so that's going to be my choice. My character of the week is going to be Midnight. okay, uh, because she showed a side to herself that we don't get to see. At least in the main series, from what I understand, she plays a major supporting role in the Vigilantes yes. uh, spinoff, and you get to see more of her there. But this is a side of Midnight's personality that you don't really get to see, you know, her good mentor side, which is weird because she's a teacher. But the fact that, you know, she was there, she realized that a student was really needed her assistance, and she said the thing that he needed in order to encourage him and get him in action. And it worked. Uh and it was a cool little thing of like, hey, you know, don't think of all the people who are depending on you. Think of one person who is important to you right now. So uh, part of me wants to give it to Peter Rodri for the sake of like, could you be an MVP, <laughs> an MVP by being an LVP? <laughs> uh, but in, in lieu of that, you went so far back around. Yeah, that you you <laughs> loop around. You're like, I guess you're the most important character. week by being by far the lamest. Uh, but I think I'm going to give it to Nanashi from uh, Samurai 8. I, told- I think this was a really good chapter for them. Yeah. All right. Uh, by uh, the way, we- Spy Family was the chapter of the week for the audience. No and there. Kaminari won uh, the audience poll. I get that. Still not good enough. All right. <laughs> Come to me, boy. You're not allowed to date her until you've won five. Audience. No, I'm just kidding. I, really, I have to sit here and I'm like, is this the first time? Samurai 8 has won anything, anything for our audience <laughs> polls. Like, I had to say, it's like, is this the first time? Do you might want to just hit control F on that one? <laughs> uh, all right, guys, that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. We want to thank you all for joining us. We record the show here live on twitch.tv slash RoloT, uh, usually around 730 to 8 Eastern time Wednesdays. And uh, if uh, you want to stay updated on exactly when we start the show, follow Twitter, follow on Twitter, WMR podcast. And you can also follow your hosts at Nick F time at Rolo T. <clears throat> you can also check out our past episodes and we can manga recap Be sure to give us a comment rating, all that good stuff. Uh, you can also join our discord. There you can do stuff like uh, just send us feedback. You can suggest manga for us to read by going on the Google Doc that Ninja X3i maintains. And, of course, we want to give a special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows great bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Steve Mann, our tire carist. Uh, Infamous Planet for creating the frame for the stream. Milo Jack Stilitz and Winslow Del Cheddar for the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap. And that is going to do it. Uh, coming up pretty soon, we should be ready to do Gash Bell, Zatch Bell, whatever you want to call it. They changed the name for the English adaptation, and I'm not sure what names we're going to be using whenever we talk about it. It'll be easier in some cases to just say the English names, because some of them are literally just shorter versions of the Japanese ones. But anyway, 
That'll be for possibly next time. Probably next time. Exactly. All right, guys. Hey, the NBA might be canceling its season, but we aren't, guys. No sickness could take us down. Although I was sick yesterday, and I, I thought I was like, oh, I might have to cancel the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe I had myself on that, guys. So stay safe. Wash your hands. <laughs>